you have to make sure you fully screen your tenants. You want to get a credit check. You want to get an employment letter. You want to get references from them and call them all and check them and make sure that they're the people they say that they are. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. With us today, we have an investor, a real estate agent, and a Canadian. How you doing, Jeff Romberg? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Nice to have you on the show, my friend. And I mispronounced your last name. I'm just picking it up. Jeff Rombo. How about that? You were very kind not to call me out whenever I butchered your last name. When right before we started recording, I asked you, how do you pronounce <laughs> How do you pronounce your last name? So A hard one to pronounce. Lots of people make a mistake with that. Well, you're reinforcing the stereotype that all Canadians are very friendly and polite. <laughs> a little bit about Jeff. He currently owns and manages 27 doors of rental properties and is bringing in incomes just over $32,000 a month. He started investing in 1992 with $12,500 and has grown his portfolio to over $4 million bucks based in Calgary, Canada. With that being said, Jeff, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? I started off investing back in 1992. And I was kind of scared to do my very first property, as I'm sure most people are, something new and different. But over the years, I took my time. I slowly grew the portfolio. I made sure that I made good decisions. I made some bad decisions all along the way. I think the main thing is if, if you buy a property that with good cash flow, it makes sense for you long term. There's going to be some ups and downs in there, but if you stick with it, stick with your plan, stick with the program, then you're going to be successful in your investments. So you are a buy a property with cash flow, hold on to it for a very long time type of person? Yeah, that's right. And throughout the years, you can always refinance and buy something else. So basically you can buy a property, hold it for three or four years, refinance that property, take your money out of it, and then you can use that to buy other properties. Another strategy I've also used is you can buy a property, renovate it, and then refinance it based on the new renovated value. 
And basically, you're not using a whole lot of your own cash at that time. You can do to grow your portfolio. The biggest thing that I've done over the years is just don't try to do it real quick. There's going to be ups and downs in the market. The U.S. had some real downs in the market the last six, seven years. It seems to be coming back now. Canada was going through that as well. So if you can grow yourself slowly, make it through those down or bad times, maybe even buy another property or two when things are low, that's what I found the best way to grow your portfolio over time. We tell us about the last deal that you bought and just give us some details on purchase price, income coming in, that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. The last one I bought was in June of this year. It was a fourplex, so there was four doors involved in that one. What had happened is uh, lots of people on the street. The market in Calgary and Canada is down a bit right now. So somebody came up to me with this opportunity to buy this fourplex. We managed to negotiate a deal without getting any realtors involved. I purchased it with 20% down. The cash flow on the property is about $5,000 a month. My expenses are about $3,000 a month. I paid $800,000 for the fourplex, so it was $2,000 per door. I kind of want to use as my rule of thumb, if you can get a property for $2,000 per door, that's going to be a good long-term investment for you based on the rents. So I bought that in June. I had to move a couple of tenants out that weren't paying their, their rent. Got a couple of new ones in, did a few renovations on two of the suites. I was just chugging along and I'm making $2,000 a month. Plus I'm paying down a mortgage for myself. So that was actually a very good news story in the last one that I got. You said 2000 a door. So I look to buy a property. One of the rules of thumb that I do is $200,000 per door. So if I can get a property in Canada for $200,000, the rents are going to be around $1,000, 1200 to 1400 a month, depending what area it's in. When I'm looking at my stuff to buy, my rule of thumb is to buy $200,000 per door is what I'm looking at when I'm making my decision on what properties to buy or not. So that would be the purchase price, obviously. And what is your requirement for the rent based on that purchase price of hitting 200000 a door? It depends, like I was saying, what you buy it in. Higher end areas can get you more rent. Lower end areas can get you less rent. Usually if you're buying, your rent should be anywhere between 1000 to 1400 per month depending what area it is, the size, et cetera, on this one. Hmm. And there's one rule of thumb that investors use and that I was using whenever I was buying single-family homes. And well, I guess I was just buying single-family homes before I went to apartments. And that is you take the income that comes in a month. So in this case, let's say 1400 bucks, And then you divide that by the purchase price plus whatever renovations you're going to have to do. And if it's anywhere between 1% to 2%, then it's a good deal. If it's below that, then it might be a good deal, but it won't make as much cash flow. And just doing that math, if it's 1400 bucks and it's a $200,000 purchase price, that would be 0.007, so under 1%. What are your thoughts on that? I just want to get your opinion on it. It sounds like you have a pretty good plan there as well. Obviously, a 1% return is better than what I'm getting on mine, a 0.7%. I guess the good thing about the market today is the interest rates are so low. So what I do, I think you're talking about the capitalization rate or the cap rate. A lot of investors talk about that. So if you buy the property for cash, what's your rate of return if you just look at the income, less all your expenses, your taxes, et cetera? So in today's market, the cap rate would probably be around 6 to 8%. If you can get something like that, you're doing quite well. That's what I was talking about, the interest rates. So the interest rates in Canada are quite low right now. You can get a five-year rate for 2.49%. So if you're getting a cap rate of 7% and you're getting a loan amount of 80% of the value, 
there's a lot of upswing on there between the 2.49 versus the 8% cap rate that you're taking advantage of. So I look at the net rate of return. I don't look at the capitalization rate. I include the financing, all the rest of it when I make my decisions. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you're saying. If you can get a 1% return versus my 0.77%, that's definitely a better property. I would buy that one over the one I have for sure. Hmm. Yeah, good stuff. It makes a lot of sense, you know, looking at the net rate of return, not just the capitalization. Great, great. Good is because, like I was saying, the interest rates are so low right now. Mm-hmm. You can leverage your down payment to get more than you would if you paid cash for the property. And did you say you get a five-year loan? Yeah. So in Canada, the, it's a little bit different than it is in the U.S. And I have three properties in Phoenix, so I have a little bit of an understanding of how it works down there. If you're in Canada, you negotiate the term of your loan is 25 or 30 years. But you negotiate the interest rate. You can have a five-year interest rate, a four-year, three-year, two-year, even a one-year interest rate. It's a little bit different than it is in the U.S. where you take a 10-year term, something like that. Financing up here in Canada is quite different than it is in the U.S. And then let's say you do the five-year. At that time, you have options again after that five-year expires? Yeah, exactly. So once the five years are up, you get together with the bank and rates might have gone up, they might have gone down. It just depends on what happens with the marketplace. You can refinance it like I was saying, or you can just get a new rate based on your new principal that you have at that time. Mm. Interesting. That's a combination of both commercial loans and residential for how we do it in the States. Let's talk about some bad decisions that you've made because you said when you did the intro you've made good decisions you talked about your strategy and you've made some bad decisions educate us on some stories where you made bad decisions i think the biggest challenge when you're doing any rental is you have to get the right tenants in place a lot of the bad stories or the negative things that i've had is just having poor tenants you get a poor tenant in there not only can they not pay your rent for three months before you can evict them also they can do damage they can cause you lots of headaches didn't do the proper research, didn't do the background, didn't get the full checks on it. And eventually it cost me. I'm pretty good at judging character. And like you said, Canadians are pretty nice. But if you get a bad tenant in there, that's going to cost you a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of headaches. I want to try to avoid. So if I had any advice for the best listeners ever, I would say if you can get into the rental, you need to make sure you fully screen your tenants. You want to get a credit check. You want to get an employment letter. You want to get references from them and call them all and check them and make sure that they're the people they say that they are. I've had cases where people have told me they work at a certain company and they give me a number to call, but I'd go on the internet, get the name of the company and call the company directly and surprise, they don't actually work there. So there's a bit of that that goes on. You have to kind of screen your people to make sure that you're getting the right people in there. Because like I said, otherwise that's going to cause you the biggest headache ever. You live in Canada. You have property in Phoenix, Arizona, as you just mentioned. How do you oversee that? And what's it like investing internationally? What do you have to do differently versus when you invest domestically? What I did for those properties is it's a bit harder, like you said, to invest in a foreign country. So if there's some U.S. listeners who are interested in investing in Canada or in Calgary, there's different rules versus what are in the U.S. So what I did for mine is I set up a separate company in the U.S. I purchased the properties with cash. I used my line of credits up here in Canada to do that. And I hired a property manager in the U.S. to do it. So I have somebody in Phoenix that collects the rents for me. They pay all the bills. They give me a statement every month. It seems to work pretty smooth. The reason why I did that is when I bought it, it was, I think it was 2006 when I bought them in Phoenix. I used to go down there for work two or three times a year and to go and golf and just enjoy the sun and the weather. And when I was down there, there was a huge crash in the market. Phoenix was one of the hardest ones that was hit. So I went down there. I bought three properties. 
Canadian dollar is actually worth more than the U.S. dollar at the time. So I got a 30% return on just the currency exchange. You know, today that's gone up. I, I probably made like 35% just on the currency exchange. But I think it was a good decision to do that. But to answer your question, what did I do differently? I have somebody else manage it for me and I had to pick and I've had to change companies a couple of times with that. Again, you want to get the right people working for you. And I made sure that I had research to get the right areas and the right properties because I've had really good tenants down there. I haven't had any issues down there with that as well. So set up the company. I did the research on the market and I understand the tax differences as well. We can talk about that. I, for instance, talk about that. Those are the two main things. Just get the right property manager, the right people in there. If you buy the right property in the right place and you can do well with that. Can you tell us the numbers on the Phoenix property and a little bit more about profit and loss and details with that? Yeah, for sure. The last one I bought in Phoenix, I think it was 2009, but I'm not positive. I'd have to check my records on that. I bought a 1,600 square foot bungalow and it's in Avondale, which is just outside of Phoenix. It's got a pool in the backyard. It's on a golf course. And the rent that I get from that is $1,250 per month. People that have moved in there have been there since I bought it. There no issues with that property. It's worked really well for me. And I paid $130,000 for it, U.S., which was at the time 100000 Canadian because of the exchange rate. And I guess my cash flow on that would be about 14000 a year. So, you know, I'm getting a pretty good cap rate or capitalization rate on that property. I've been very happy with my U.S. properties. How old, how old is that property? I would say it's probably 15 to 20 years old. Okay, not that bad. You used to go down there for work a couple times a year, so I kind of know the area a little bit and got to meet some people down there. Those ones worked well for me because I've got a good property manager down there and I've got good tenants that just pay their rent. And those are the two keys if you want to be successful. Make sure you get the right people and the right tenants working for you. If you've had the same tenants in this property since you've purchased it, why did you switch management companies multiple times? With the other two properties that I've had, I had a few issues with them. There's some issues with the payments that they were giving me. And I just wasn't happy with when I called them to get an answer on questions. They never returned my calls or were very slow returning my calls. Because I'm in Canada, I need all the reporting and I have to pay a 50% withholding tax on all my stuff down there. And there's some special things that they need to do that they weren't doing for me. It was actually a referral from one of my other friends in Calgary who has properties in Phoenix. And I went with his property manager. I know you already mentioned this, but I didn't officially ask you, and I got some special music that plays whenever I ask this question. So you're going to have to come up with another piece of advice, and here we go. What's the best real estate investing advice ever? The best real estate investing ever? I know like I mentioned at the beginning, but I think the biggest thing is you need to take your time. Buy your first property, let it go for a bit, refinance it, take some money out. There's going to be ups and downs in the market. There's going to be headaches. There's going to be hassles. But for me, I turned on that one property I bought back in 1992 in Calgary, Alberta. I bought it for $125,000. I put down $12,500. It's worth about $600,000 today. It's been paid off. Where else can you turn $12,500 to $600,000 in 20 odd years it is? It's just been such a good investment. There's been headaches challenges but you're never going to get that rate of return that I could see from any other investment. Mm. Have you sold anything? Yeah, I've sold properties over the years. I did, like I said, I've made some bad decisions. I bought some bad properties in bad areas. I had this one property in Calgary. It was a great deal. There was two doors, two units. It seemed to have pretty good cash flow, but it was in a really bad area. The tenants kept turning over. I'd get new people in and get hooked on drugs. I'd have to kick them out. New people would move in. I think the drug dealer used it as, you know, get the first one free. Like I had three different sets of tenants that moved in there. 
got addicted to drugs, wouldn't pay the rent, had to kick him out. Finally, when I did kick them out, there was three young kids living upstairs and there was a big fight. They had a knife fight. They broke windows. They destroyed some of the drywall, $15,000 worth of damage. Went through my insurance, got it fixed, repaired, and I decided to sell it, which is too much of a headache for that property. So that's been the ones that I've, like I said, I like to hold and reinvest or refinance and use the money elsewhere. But on that one, there were just too many headaches. I couldn't take it. I had to get rid of it. You ready for the best ever lightning round? All right, let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. What's the best ever book you've read? How to win friends and influence people. Best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it? Um, I think the biggest thing is to treat people like you like to be treated yourself. What's a experience in your life that it was a pivotal moment for you and you had some challenging stuff happen? A pivotal moment? Hmm. I guess maybe going back to that very first property that I bought. I remember I was very anxious about buying it. I thought it was a lot of money. I thought, you know, they've heard a lot of bad stories about rental properties. Everybody hears the bad stories. Nobody hears the good stories about it. I think just deciding to make that first initial investment and then sticking with it, making it grow. I mean, that was very pivotal for me. If I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be in the position that I am. Best ever deal you've done? Honestly, I think the best I ever did was that last deal that I got. I know the market's down in Calgary. I'm making really good cash flow off that fourplex that I bought. I'm very happy with the way that's gone. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Give back to the community. I invest my time. I do some canvassing for the Heart and Stroke Foundation and for the Diabetes Association. Volunteer at the food bank and the women's shelter. I mean, I think the giving back to the community is very important to do that. I've been lucky and I've made some good decisions, bad decisions, but I'm pretty comfortable with where I am. I like to give back to those that are less fortunate. I always think to myself, these people living on the streets who have bad situations or whatever, like for me, I'm maybe four bad decisions from living on the street. I think everybody could say to themselves that they make four bad decisions, really bad decisions, maybe they could be living on the street. So I don't judge people. I try to help people. If you can get everybody get a step up and a leg ahead, I think everybody's going to be better off. I love that line. We're all four bad decisions away from living on the street because it's so true. It is true. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Um, I told you about the one property where I had all the, you know, I was in a bad area and they had to move the tenants out. That was definitely a mistake. I didn't do a good enough job. First of all, buying the property, doing the research on it. I didn't do a good enough job getting tenants in there. And that was definitely a learning situation for me. That was a lot of years ago. And that was the third property that I bought. And I thought I was this big investor and I'm so smart. I can make decisions, but I started to get lazy. I didn't do my homework. Because I got arrogant, I guess. So that was a really good learning experience for me. doesn't matter where you are. You need to make sure you're doing your homework, your due diligence on everything to make sure things are where you expect them to be. How did you fund your initial down payments and how are you continuing to fund other than the refinances? I think that's the biggest challenge. I can't remember who it was said that, but you know, the first million dollars is the hardest to make. It's true. You can take that down to the first hundred thousand dollars, the hardest to make. So you have to somehow make some cutbacks, make some sacrifices, get yourself in that first position. So what I did is actually, when I bought my first property, 
I stayed up. I was working two jobs. I was working at a company called Safeway. I think you guys have that in the U.S. I was working at a bank. Bank during the day and Safeway at nighttime, saving up for my first home. And I bought it. And I actually developed the base on myself. I put a basement suite in there. And when you buy a first property as a residential, there's less of an investment required. You know, it was only 10% of the down payment, 10% of the purchase price. Working two jobs, getting that 10%, and then going from there. But you're right, though. The first 100000 or the first million dollars is always the toughest to make. If you can get somebody to help you or if you make those sacrifices at the beginning when you're young and early, it's going to grow for you tenfold over the years. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? Um, I have a website. It's jeffrombo.com. If you want to go check it out there, they can email me at my last name. It's rombo, R-O-M-B-O-U-G-H at shaw.ca. Send me an email, check out my website, or if you want to give me a call, phone number is 403-975-9816. I just want to finish off with saying I did the Phoenix thing and as a Canadian, the dollar was good, bought some properties in a down market. I think right now for U.S. listeners, it's a great time for you to consider investing in Canada. U.S. dollar is strong. Canada market is a little bit down. There's some room for improvement there. I think doing the reversing what I did would be a lot of your best listeners ever could take advantage of. Good advice, and I think we know someone who they can reach out to. (laughs) Jeff, thank you for being on the show, sharing how you are doing slow and steady wins the race and taking a very traditional approach over a long period of time and building your portfolio from one property to the next and just buying cash-flowing properties And then also sharing some of your bad decisions, like the deal that was a good property, but not a good area, and you had some challenging tenants, along with your take on international investing, both investing in the United States and then Americans investing in Canada. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times, giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, You're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you to provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too and make a determination on the max purchase price. Super important. You can print out all the detailed reports, and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. 